today's scripture is from Luke chapter 9, verse 10. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. He took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away and go to the to send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about five thousand men. And he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about fifty each. And they did so, and had all them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me to the Lord? Thank you for being the old translation says, Jehovah Jireh, Lord who provides, the Lord who is enough. Thank you for being our God. Thank you for the mystery of the gospel, Christ, substitute for us. He became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God of the gospel, and we thank you for it. And so now, as we look at this story, this miracle, this meal Jesus had, would you speak to us, and would you do immeasurably more than we could ask or think? pray in Jesus' name. You can be seated. We have been for several weeks now, kind of on the second half of summer, uh, looking at six, or it will be a total of six, uh, incidents in the Gospel of Luke when Jesus ate a meal with with people. Uh, And it's been fun as Daniel and I have been uh, working on the series. Of course, he preached last week. Uh, uh, He's discovered and he he sent it to me. Uh, There's probably, you could easily count eight, if not more, implied meals that Jesus ate, but we're, we're going to stick with the six that we've mapped out. And uh, as the subtitle of our series says, it's on the screens there, when a meal with Jesus was more than food. And as we've said every week, it's good to remember this, Jesus was the God-man. And so he was 100% man, uh, human. He needed food for fuel. He enjoyed food like we enjoy food. All of those things But the times in the gospel accounts when uh, Luke, in this case, records for us the meals he ate, there was always more to it than simply getting his fuel for the day or or enjoying simply a banquet just to enjoy a banquet. In other words, there's things that we can learn. And so I shared when we started this series about four or five weeks ago, uh, Tim Chester, he's an author, and he wrote this book called A Meal with Jesus. And he points out right early on that there are three times in the scriptures where the phrase is read, the son of man came. And so if you look on the screen, Mark chapter 10, verse 45, 
The Son of Man came not to be served. No, that's another word for Jesus. That's his favorite title for himself. No, the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom, to, to go to the cross instead of us having to die, uh, to, to, to give his life in exchange for us. That's why he came. Or Luke 19.10 is also on the screen. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And then, if you notice, backing up into Luke, verse 34 of chapter 7, the Son of Man has come. So if those first ones were statements regarding um, uh, purpose, why he came, now we have a statement of, of how he came, of his method among other methods. But he did come, and this, these are Jesus' words, eating and drinking. And in, in this context, he, he points out that certain people had identified himself as a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He was a friend of sinners. And part of that was because he, he ate meals, he celebrated, he drank uh, and enjoyed that. Uh, whereas John the Baptist, in that context, uh, lived a different life. One wasn't right or wrong. It was how John had been called by God to serve, uh, only eating right honey and wild locusts, uh, grasshoppers basically. But, but Jesus came like the rest of us um, in, in this, this method. He's come and he's having meals. And, and so it's a good reminder, uh, even for us, and we keep coming back to this, um, we eat a lot of meals in our life. You know, some of you eat less meals than others, uh, you know, whatever. Um, some of us eat more meals than others, but generally we eat, we, we get together and we do that as a church. We had a great men's barbecue last night, by the way, and, and tonight, part of our Sunday night theology, as Jim mentioned, we have, we have a meal together. But you in your homes, you eat. And, and so um, we, we are to be disciples, followers, learners of Jesus. And if he came and enjoyed meals with people and over a meal had conversation and asked questions and got to know people and they got to know him. It's a good reminder and a good call to us that we need to do the same um, with people. We need to love on people and, and enjoy uh, what can come in the course of a conversation. This morning, we, we come to arguably an unusual meal uh, that Jesus had with not just a few people, right? Uh, your, your Bibles may have headings, and uh, my Bible has the heading, Jesus Feeds the 5,000. Just a small meal. <laughs> we'll talk about that more in a minute. Um, unlike some of the other meals we've seen in our series where, where Jesus was invited, where he was the, the guest to tax collectors' homes where, where people prepared uh, a meal for him or some Pharisees who invited him over. No, in this meal, we, we find Jesus supplying the meal for 5,000 and more, most likely. Well, again, we'll come to that. Um, again, we'll unpack this in a moment, but Jesus couldn't go to Oliver's and put in an order, you know, for hoagie sandwiches and chicken and stuff like that, right? He didn't go to Trader Joe's and, and stock up. He performed a miracle, a miracle. We're going to, tonight, in Sunday Night Theology, one of the chapters is on miracles. And, and again, the, the book, Surviving Religion 101, uh, it's written to 
high school, college age, uh, but to all of us, I've been saying. Uh, but but the, the structure of the book, right, just one more plug, um, is Mike Kruger to his daughter who's gone away to college and she's going to have religion 101 class and interact with people. And, and one of the things that a college student, high school student, neighbor of people in Santa Rosa, co-worker of people in Sonoma County, interact with are people that just, there's no way supernatural things happen. Whether it's 5,000 being fed miraculously from five loaves and two fish. How does that happen? I, I've told you a little bit about one of my coworkers in uh, where my office suite is, and, and he's convinced that all these things, th- this is just, you know, fun, nice language, but, you know, Jesus clearly had a trailer full of stuff. Like, he just assumes a, a non-supernatural worldview, I mean, that, that is the assumption. So then when you read these things, there has to be um, an answer other than what God's Word says, uh, the miracles. So we're going to talk tonight about miracles. If you, if you haven't read yet, uh, I encourage you to read three chapters, uh, but chapter 9 is on miracles. And then it's going to get to the resurrection, the greatest miracle of all. And that's at the core of our faith. Let's remind ourselves of that. Like this is Easter 101. 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul says in that chapter, if Christ has not been raised, our faith, it's in vain. It's, it's silly. Like, why are we doing it? So we bank everything on a miracle, on, a, on this specific miracle of Jesus dying and on a third day rising. And so miracles are important. Um, absolutely, the resurrection, that's end-all miracle. We got to start with that anyway when we talk to people and if we can deal with that. And there's good evidence for the resurrection. Um, but nonetheless, it's a miracle. Then, then we come to things like feeding of 5,000 people. And um, we, we, we need to see what God says to us. So Jesus is not invited to this meal. Jesus is the one that supplies this meal. By the way, this miracle, uh, it's recorded in all four Gospels, which is the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels, and that's interesting. Um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as the synoptic Gospels. They all, that means they travel the same general path, the same basic timeline. Uh, John is different. John's got a different purpose. Uh, He wrote his account later, and so, again, under divine inspiration, he has other things he wants to highlight uh, I believe knowing full well that there were the other accounts of Jesus' life. But this miracle is in all four uh, Gospels, and that's interesting. It's also good to remember um, one other piece of background. Even though we aren't working our way through Luke from Luke 1.1 to the end uh, of Luke, although a little uh, plug, next week, Lord willing, our final meal with Jesus message in this series will be out of Luke 24 toward the end uh, of Luke uh, where Jesus is uh, on the road to Emmaus after the resurrection, talking with some of his followers who are confused and don't understand, and that conversation culminates in, in a meal. Um, but we're not working our way through Luke, but we should note this. Um, this miracle, especially in Luke, but it's true in all of the Gospels, th- this now kind of forms what one commentator calls the apex and conclusion of Jesus's ministry in, in Galilee. So I don't have a map for you, but um, if you have a map in your Bible or if you just want to imagine, um, most of Jesus's three-year ministry as a, as a rabbi teacher 
uh, miracle worker, most of his time was spent up in the north of, of Israel, around the Galilee, Sea of Galilee region. Um, and he would come to Jerusalem for the Passover and, and then go back and, and do things along the way. But most of the gospel accounts have him up here. And with this miracle, this is going to bring to an end that's what this commentator calls a season of grace uh, for the Galilee region. From here, Jesus and his ministry would move to the coastal cities of Tyre, Sidon, Caesarea Philippi, and then to the Transjordan, and finally to Judea and Jerusalem, all heading toward the cross uh, where he knew he was going. It's also crucial in Luke's account because it immediately, this story that you heard Dana read, Luke 9, 10 to 17, it follows a question asked by Herod. If you look at your Bible or you can look at the screen, Luke 9, 9, Herod said, who is this about whom I hear such things? Who is this? He says in the context, John I know of, but who is this Jesus? If we were to keep going in Luke 9, we would see Peter answer that question for Herod, although Herod wasn't there. Luke 9.20, Jesus said to his closest followers, who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Christ of God. So, So Herod asked this question, he's heard about Jesus, who is this? Peter's going to answer that sometime later. In, in our Bible, it's the next thing after the, the miracle. But the miracle, the feeding, is <clears throat> the demonstration of that answer. Herod wants to know who is it. Peter says he's the Christ, you're the Christ, and Jesus is going to show it. Jesus is going to show that he is the Christ. That, that's the Greek word for Messiah, which, which means anointed one, promised one, the, the one we've been waiting for as we sang about, the one that God's people have been waiting for, the God-man, God in the flesh. That's part of what it meant for him to be the Christ. And as God, he can perform miracles. So this morning, as we just look at a story that's pretty familiar probably to most, a uh, simple title and simple point, Jesus supplies and satisfies. Not just some 2,000 years ago, the 5,000 plus people in my life, in your life, he supplies and satisfies. So let's, uh, let's take a look at this together. If you have your Bible, please make sure you're there. Luke 9, 10 through 17. Jesus supplies and satisfies. As I mentioned, uh, the first part, oh, oh, sorry, didn't mention this. The first part of chapter 9, uh, Jesus has sent the 12 apostles out on, on a mission, and, uh, and he says this. It's worth noting what, what he says to them. Uh, chapter 9, verse 1, he called the 12 together, and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And so he goes on and says a few more things, and they go out and do that. And then at verse 7, that's where Herod comes in, where again, he hears about Jesus, and he asks the question, John, I I know, in fact, uh, Herod had John beheaded. So he says, I 
John, I know, I beheaded him, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. Now verse 10, on their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. So, so the apostles have been out, and they've no doubt seen amazing things. They had been giving authority. Notice that Luke tells us they had authority over demons. They were given authority and power to cure disease. They were to proclaim the kingdom of God to heal so they, they no doubt have come back and, and they want to talk to Jesus about it. And if we were looking at the other accounts, Jesus is going to hear them and he's going to say, you've had some, some amazing ministry. Let's, let's have some time alone. Let's, let's go by ourselves away. And they would have loved that, right? And wouldn't we love that if we could be around literally with Jesus and he's always with the crowds and the multitudes doing things, but then he, he says, come on, just come, let's get away. For, for a bit. So that's some of the context we pick up from, from the other Gospels. It's also important that we, we note this, and we don't have time to look deep into this, but um, there, there's some Old Testament background that we should keep in mind as well. Um, God's people in, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures, they had experienced miraculous feeding on several occasions. Um, Exodus 16, uh, Numbers 11, uh, those are the accounts when, when the manna came from heaven in the desert when, when they were hungry and they complained and cried out and God miraculously fed them. And you might recall that there was more than enough. There was plentiful of manna. And in fact, they grumbled so much that they complained and got sick and, and couldn't handle it. But God more than supplied uh, for them uh, in, in the Old Testament as they were wandering in the wilderness. Uh, that's one kind of background thing to keep in mind. And another story that really most commentators believe uh, is fleshed out here in, in, in its fulfillment is Elisha's feeding of 100 men with barley, loaves, and grain. And that's in 2 Kings 4. Um, the wording is very similar, um, except it's 100 people, not 5,000. And instead of five loaves and fish, it's barley, loaves, and grain. But uh, Elisha miraculously feeds them, and there's more left over. But most importantly, uh, the third kind of background context that, that we should keep in mind um, is actually a passage that, that Daniel read for us in part last week. If you can keep your hand in Luke, turn to Isaiah in, in your Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 25. So the song, the second song we sang this morning, This Is Our God, which is an old Soma song. Some of you might recall that was one we did a lot a long time ago. We can say that even as a 14-year-old church a long time ago. Um, Isaiah 25 is, is this chapter um, of, of the, the messianic banquet. And again, as I said, Dan, Daniel mentioned it and, and referred to it last week. Uh, this is a chapter where, where God is giving his future promise to feed his people and to shepherd his people. Uh, listen to Isaiah 25. I'm going to read um, beginning at, at verse 6. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. 
and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Stop there. That, that context, what, what God's people were hoping for and waiting for, this great banquet one day. Jesus begins to give them a taste of that great banquet. In more ways than one, even the other accounts that we've looked at uh, point to this. He obviously is the Messiah who's come, uh, not quite like he will one day, but as he has been feasting with people and as here he he provides this amazing meal. Uh, we basically see, to, to use kind of the wording from Tim Keller, uh, Jesus is the true and better Moses, who, yes, Moses was used to feed his people in the wilderness, the manna. Jesus is the true and better Elisha, who performed that miracle of feeding 100 with barley, loaves, and grain. And, and he is, in fact, the, the promised Messiah who one day will come. And when he comes and when we eat with him, he will wipe away every tear all the sad things will be untrue. And that day's coming. That day's coming. And until that day, though, we hunger. Not not for food, although we do. But there's a deeper hunger. And this, this miracle gets to that as well. We hunger, but Jesus supplies and satisfies. Well, let's, let's look at the miracle, the story. So verse 10 now of Luke 9. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And by the way here, um, it's just worth noting, um, verse 10, it says the apostles, okay? Uh, but then if you look at verse 12, it says, now the day began to wear on, and the 12 came, and, and then down in verse 14 and 16, um, the word for the apostles or the 12 is disciples, just, just to point out uh, that um, this, this primarily has to do with, with them. Now, there's 5,000 plus people that are going to eat, but Luke wants us to know that in, in, in God's inspiration as he records this, the 12 have a, have a prominent part, and we're going to see that at the end. Um, and so Jesus took them and withdrew. I mentioned again, we learned from the other accounts that Jesus wanted to have some alone time with them. Um, and so they go to a town called Bethsaida. Uh, Bethsaida was, uh, again, we're talking Galilee up in the north. It was uh, right near where the Jordan River came into the, to the lake. Um, it's again, worth noting this area, this region, and the town of Bethsaida was the hometown of Peter and Andrew, as well as Philip. Notice what, what it says in verse 11. When the crowds, so again, there's the apostles, the disciples, uh, the 12, they, they have a part to play. But the crowds, when they learned uh, and when they realized where Jesus and the 12 had gone, they, they followed. And it, it does not tell us that Jesus said to them, everybody, just hold on till tomorrow. I need to have some time with my 12, but I care about you. I'll take care of you tomorrow. He could have done that. Uh, 
We were praying this morning before the service, and, and one of my struggles, my family can attest to this more than anyone, um, I, I can live hurried. And that's not the same thing as being busy. Uh, Jesus was very busy. Uh, busy is about your outside, you know, things, okay? Hurry is a condition of your soul. Um, and I, I live hurried more often than I'd like. And um, it's been good this week to just be in this miracle and to see Jesus was not hurried. He never was, but here he wasn't. He was busy. And yeah, he had something planned, but at this moment, it wasn't appropriate for him to tell the crowds to wait. In fact, no, verse 11, they, the crowds learned where Jesus and the apostles went. They followed him. And it says three things. It says Jesus welcomed them. It says Jesus spoke to them of the kingdom of God. Remember, that's the same message he had given the 12 as they were out healing and doing miracles and preaching about the kingdom of God, the good news of God's kingdom. But their message and Jesus' message was identical. So he welcomed the crowds. He spoke of, to them of the kingdom of God and he says cured all who had need of healing. I don't have the verse to put on the screen, but this is the parallel verse in Mark 6, 34. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus, who was busy, who had an agenda, who had planned to spend time, he has compassion on the crowds. And so he welcomes them, he speaks to them of the kingdom, and he, he cures those who had need of healing. Verse 12, the day began to wear away. <laughs> That's Luke's way of saying, it was getting to dinner time. And the 12 came and said, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging, find Trader Joe's and get provisions. For we are here in a desolate place, you know. We're out in West County, Jesus, and boy, there's no Trader Joe's. You've got to go into Santa Rosa for that. You know, it's, it's interesting. We can read into things. We have to be careful. It doesn't seem that the disciples, um, I should say it this way. According to Luke's account, it seems like they are manifesting concern. It doesn't seem like, you know, they're irritated. Um, at least as we're reading it here in Luke. They, they, there's a concern. Hey, we're out in the wilderness, like we're in the Bethsaida area, but, uh, but Bethsaida's a bit away, and, you know, it's getting late, and they're going to be hungry. There's, there's an awareness amongst the 12, um, and so they, they, they give Jesus a command. It's interesting. Send, them, send the crowd away. <laughs> um, but but they, they, they recognize they don't have lodging, they need provisions, and, you know, it's desolate here. Um, it's almost like they've forgotten what they had just done when Jesus sent them out um, or other miracles Jesus has performed, recorded for us in Luke 8. Verse 13, Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat. As I said, right, this miracle is recorded in all four Gospels and um, it's, it's the same story. The, the basic things are all there. Nothing contradicts. Um, 
Luke, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wants to stress the apostles in this story. The 12, the apostles, the ones who just returned. And they come to Jesus and say, uh, send them away. They need provision. They need food. We're in a desolate place. They give Jesus that command. And Jesus gives them a command. No, you give them something to eat. They say, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. And again, if we pulled from the other gospels, um, a boy had been brought forward who had five loaves and two fish. And so that's what they say to Jesus. This is what we have. Unless we're to go and buy food for all these people. And then just for a second, verse 14, this is where we got to talk about the 5,000. For there were about 5,000 men. And all four gospel writers are specific in in the gender of, of that phrase, men. So scholars believe like there was literally like 5,000 males, but there were women and children. So there was a lot of people um, there, more than 5,000, okay? Um, I love how Sally Lloyd-Jones in the Jesus Storybook Bible puts this part of the story. <laughs> As if it's the disciples speaking, she writes, how in the world will Jesus feed everyone with just that? Jesus' friend said, because they thought it was impossible. But Jesus knew the one who made all the fish in the oceans. And Jesus knew the one who in the very beginning had made everything out of nothing at all. How hard would something like this be for someone like that? So there's about 5,000 men, verse 14, and Jesus said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And then verse 15, They did so and had them all sit down. Notice they don't ask for an explanation first and get full understanding. They obey. They they do what their master says to do, even without full understanding. Verse 16, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, Jesus looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. Again, this this passage has this clear parallel to the Elisha story I mentioned, but it's also very similar in in its verbal parallels um, of one of the meals we looked at a few weeks ago, the Lord's Supper, the first Lord's Supper. Jesus did very similar and said the same sorts of things. And then verse 17 simply tells us, They ate, they all ate, and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. Um, Tabiti Anyabile, he's a a pastor, and uh, he's the one where I get this this sermon title that Jesus supplies and satisfies. I love this. He, He writes this. I don't know how this miracle worked. Did fish and loaves keep miraculously filling their baskets? Did the fish and loaves all appear at once? Did they fall from the sky? I really don't know. And how did these fishermen react to all this? Did they wonder, how in the world did we get fresh fish in a desert wilderness? I don't even know how a person would process an event like this. See, and we, we can read these, and, and you know, we've, if we've grown up in church and Sunday school, you know, or, or whatever, you know, you know this miracle, the story, but 
process that for a minute. And, and Luke doesn't tell us. Of course, Luke wasn't there, but as he heard of it later, uh, we don't know. We don't know exactly how the miracle happened. Jesus, in praying, performed a miracle, and, and there was more than enough to a crowd of over 5,000 people who had been out in the sun all day and were tired and hungry. And Jesus, again, is the true and better promised one, the prophet Moses, true and better Elisha, who one day will have this banquet where everyone will be satisfied and feast, and he does this miracle. And remember Herod's question, who is this? Who is this? And the apostles, they're, they're getting a firsthand look at who this is. Jesus supplies. But it wasn't just a, well, you know, like, like we parents say to our kids, my kids can attest to this, uh, you know, it's 4.45 and they're hungry and dinner's at 5.30. Like, okay, like, have a half a banana. It'll satisfy, you know, kind of a thing, right? No, no kid wants to hear have half a banana. But I love saying that to my kids. I still do, right? Like, that would have been enough. That would have, right, taken care of the grumblings, Jesus doesn't just give him half a banana. He satisfies. He supplies, but he satisfies. Again, Tabiti Anyabile writes, everyone ate and was filled, verse 17. They were satisfied. I believe they enjoyed the taste. I believe the fish was delicious. Jesus wouldn't perform a miraculous fish fry and burn the fish. This fish was cooked in heaven. It was delicious. Just like the water that was turned to wine at the wedding in Cana was the most delicious wine the people had ever tasted. Jesus supplies and satisfies. Do we believe that he is still the one who supplies and satisfies? keep mentioning that at the center of Luke's account are the 12, the apostles. So the final thing I want to add to this, not only does Jesus supply and satisfy, but Jesus supplies and satisfies through his people. Um, when he learned that there was only, you know, that, that little amount, or even I guess before that, when, when, when they come to him and say, you know, Jesus sends everybody home, um, Jesus could have said, thanks for letting me know. Okay, yeah, I totally got lost on what time it was. All right, everyone, um, gather, sit in groups of 50. Uh, I'm going to pray, and God's going to provide. Right? But, but no, look, look back at it. See it in your Bible. Underline this in your Bible. Verse 13, you give them something to eat. Jesus supplies and satisfies in the feeding of the 5,000, through the apostles. And I believe that that's, that's a lesson in here still for us today, that he supplies our needs, he satisfies our needs through his people. He, he brings the disciples into this situation, calls them to do it, calls them to recall what they had just done when they were sent out, calls them to be part of it, uh, even then as they say, well, we don't have enough, so then he seeks the Lord, 
And then he's distributing it, and they are the ones passing this out, collecting at the end all of this. We, we are next Sunday starting um, have Sunday school again for every Sunday of the month, something that's been gone for well over two years. Um, and, and I was thinking about a bunch of you today who, who are the teachers of our little kids um, and helpers. I've been actually thinking about you for days, and we've been getting ready for this and whatnot, but, but, but hear the application of this story to you as, as teachers um, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, um, and I, the whole church needs to hear this, and parents, you need to hear this, grandparents and, and aunts and uncles of kids that may come, um, what, what happens to your left across this building is more than simply daycare. We, we aren't wanting to just provide a safe place for the kids um, and, and hope that as they grow up, they'll learn to be good, quiet people sitting in the seats like you all are. That's not our goal. Our goal is that these kids see Jesus, that they see this one who supplies needs and satisfies, that they see this one who came to seek and save the lost, that they see this one who came to give his life. That's the goal. And these other things are important. Oh, we want it to be safe and fun and and, and all of that. But the main thing is that they see Jesus. Um, One thing I know in in getting up here uh, many, many, many weeks out of the year now for 14, almost 14 years. Um, unless, unless God's doing a work, um, nothing's going to happen of eternal significance. And, and as I looked at this text this week and, and applied it to my own life, and there's, there's situations, um, Jesus supplies and satisfies. And, and yet he does it again and again and again through his people. That's why we're the church. The body of Christ, he's the head, we're the body. We're the hands and feet and eyes and ears and all the parts. And back to you teachers, um, Jesus wants to, to supply and, and satisfy those kids through you in the weeks to come. He wants to supply and satisfy through you as you prepare Sunday school lessons and crafts and different ideas and things. And, I, and I'm praying that you but see that and feel that and long for that to happen. That's what I pray happens every week in here. But it's not just in Sunday school or in here. As we go about being the body of Christ, being followers of Jesus, we have the opportunity to be the ones that Jesus will, through us, supply needs and satisfy. He longs and wants to do that. He wants us to have a taste now of what will come when he returns one day. Are you serving others as his hands and feet? Are we receiving from others so that he can supply and satisfy us? So easy to just do it ourselves and I can take care of it, but we're called to be dependent on the Lord, yes, but on one another. Sally Lloyd-Jones says that Jesus did many miracles like this, things people thought couldn't happen that weren't natural. 
But it was the most natural thing in all the world. It's what God had been doing from the beginning, of course, taking the nothing, making it everything, taking the emptiness and filling it up, taking the darkness and making it light. Jesus supplies and satisfies, and he supplies and satisfies through his peace. Let's pray. Father, in your providence this week, we, we pick songs and thought through things that are connected with the story. But it's not coincidence, it's providence, it's your goodness to us because we need to be reminded today of everything we've already said and sung, that you are more than enough for us that you are our supply. You are awesome. That you, Jesus, are our God and you are the one we've been waiting for and we've received and we long for you to return again. One who will wipe away every tear, return the wasted years. This is our God. You supply and you satisfy. You are Jireh more than enough. So help us trust you more and receive what you supply and how you satisfy in whatever we're going through. Help us receive that through your church, your people. Help us be your hands and feet to meet those needs. We see those evidences of your grace and and your miraculous work meeting our needs again and again and again. We pray. Amen.